0: So today, we traditionally look at what the religious world calls Palm Sunday. Uh, We generally will refer to it as Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It is an event that kicked off Jesus' final week of his earthly ministry. And I want to read to you from John's account of this, John chapter 12, if you want to join me there. John chapter 12, we're going to start reading in verse 12. We'll read down through verse 19. We'll make a couple of observations, and then we'll move forward with our time together. John 12, beginning in verse 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. Well, what a scene. And obviously the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, also record this and give us more detail. Uh, But we recognize clearly the humility of the Lord Jesus Christ we see the fulfillment of prophecy of Jesus coming on a colt, uh, coming as the king of Israel. He, you hear the, the peoples crying out, Hosanna, oh save us! And in other accounts, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We see this scene of coronation. Now we know that there is a public coronation of King Jesus that is still to come. And if you want to read about that, you can read about it in Revelation 19. Uh, later on. Well, this morning, uh, in, by way of introducing our time of worship in the Word, I want to encourage you with the words of a song that you may be familiar with. It's the song Jesus is Lord. It was penned by Stuart Townend and uh, Keith Getty. We sing this every now and then. I want to just share the third stanza of that with you. It says, Jesus is Lord. The tomb is gloriously empty. Not even death could crush this king of love. The price is paid. The chains are loosed. And we're forgiven. And you, or we, can run into the arms of God. If you might just consider that for a little while. We can run into. Into the arms of God. Join me, please, in your Bibles at Psalm 46, the 46th psalm. And let's pray again. Father, thank you that we have before us your word, your word of life, your word of truth, your word of salvation, your word of comfort, your word of peace. Do your work in us. Help us to humble ourselves before you as we consider what you've written for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So not last Thursday, but the Thursday before, I was playing hide-and-seek in the church with my two youngest, Asa and Addie. And Addie and I were hiding in a particular spot and Asa could not find us, no matter what uh, he tried. And I, I kept whistling really loud. I don't want to do it in the microphone and blow your ears and make you upset. Uh, but I, I whistled really loud to, to draw his attention. But he couldn't find us, no matter what he did. And he finally gave up. So we left our hiding spot and found him. And he kept asking, where, where, where's, where were you hiding? Where, where was it? And I said, I can't, I can't tell you that. Because next time we play, we're going to have you find it again have you look for it again. Uh, so as the week went along, he kept asking where that hiding spot was. And I gave him a couple of hints to, to narrow it down. He said, I, I know right where you were. I, I know where you were. I said, well, I guess we'll have to wait and see if you know where we were. Uh, so this last, uh, I forget what day it was, yesterday the day before, I don't remember, uh, we went and played hide-and-seek again, and Addie and I hid in that same spot, and we could hear him marching over toward us And as he got close, I did what any good father would do. I jumped out and screamed really loud, to which he fell over on the floor and screamed really loud as well. Uh, We had a a good little time with that. Playing hide and seek can be a lot of fun uh, unless uh, you're trying to hide from God. Adam and Eve tried that. Do you remember? They tried to hide from God. Do you think he knew where they were? Adam, Eve, where are you? He knew where they were. Uh, when you're playing hide-and-seek, you want to find uh, the best place so you can win, right? Uh, I remember this one time where my daughter Alexis found a, hide, uh, a hiding spot in the church. We were playing with a bunch of teenagers, and no one could find her. They finally gave up. It was such a good spot. She, you want to find that spot that beats all the other spots, I want to tell you about a a place to hide that beats all the other places. Listen to what God's Word says in Psalm 32, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. This is what God's word says. He's a God, our God, is a hiding place. He's a place of refuge. Hiding from what? Anything. Anything. As believers, we should continually be nourishing our minds and spirits with a knowledge of God. Maybe you're watching, and you don't know God exactly. It is a good thing for you to think about how the Bible presents God. And this morning, during the moments we have together... I want to look at Psalm 46. And during this time of our study of Psalm 46, we want to see six encouraging realities about how God describes himself through the psalmist. Six encouraging realities about how God describes himself through the psalmist. We're going to look at Psalm 46. I want to first outline it for you. Not necessarily, it's not necessarily an exegetical outline. It's not even maybe an expositional outline so much as it is a study of what this psalm reveals about our God. And so I want to outline this for us in our consideration. First of all, God is a place of safety. In verse 1, God is our refuge and strength of very present help in trouble. Verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Verse 11, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. He's letting us know uh, in in this constant refrain, verse 1, 7, and 11, that God is a place of safety. Next, he lets us know in Verse 1, that God is a source of strength. Look at what it says in verse 1 again. God is our refuge and strength. Thirdly, God is a source of help and peace. A source of help and peace. This starts at the end of verse 1 and goes right down through verse 3. He says this, "...a very present help in trouble." Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Down in verse 5, God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. So God is a place or a source of help and peace. Fourthly, we'll cover these. God is a source of healing and restoration. Verse 4, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is a place of help and a place of peace. Fifthly, in our reading together, it is God is present. Now, this is a major emphasis of this psalm. In verse 1, which we read, God is our refuge and strength, a very present Help in trouble. Verse 5, God is in the midst of her. Verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. Verse 11, the Lord of hosts is with us, so God is present. And then finally, we'll look at the fact that God is active. In verses 4 through 6, we see some of the activity of God. We mentioned already in verse 4 his healing and restoration. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in her midst. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage and the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. So God is active. Then in verses 8 and 9, we see it again. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars, cease to the end of the earth he breaks the bow and he shatters the spear he burns the chariots with fire so again the the first concept god is a place of safety what an important thing this is at any time in our lives because you know regardless of whether we're in the midst of a pandemic or everything is just perfect in our lives whether it's 2019 or 2020 or 2021, if we make it there, uh, wherever we are, God is a place of safety and we always need Him as that refuge. Regardless of whether we know it or not, God still resides as a refuge. See, God is a place of safety. Look again at verse 1. God is our refuge and strength. The word refuge there is a shelter or a hiding place. A shelter or a hiding place. It's recorded this way in Psalm 119 and verse 114. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. In Proverbs 14 and verse 26, God's word says this. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children will have a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. God is that refuge. He is a place of safety. And then Psalm 91, where God's Word says this. Could you put that on the screen for me, please? Psalm 91, verses 1 and 2. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, My refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. So God's Word consistently attests to God as a place of refuge, a place of that we can hide, one that we can trust. In the setting up of the promised land, uh, God instructed his people to set up six cities of refuge. You remember that back in Numbers? The the purpose was to protect a person who accidentally killed another. For instance, you go out in the woods and you're chopping down a tree, and, and it starts to fall and your buddy is with you, and he trips, and the tree falls on him, and it crushes him, and he dies. Uh, the, to prevent yourself from being a casualty of family justice, um, because the family could appoint an avenger of blood, you would run from that place straight to a city of refuge. When you got to the city of refuge, you, you checked yourself in, and the avenger of blood from that family could not kill you, It would be a a, a trial to determine whether you are guilty or innocent, whether it was an accident or on purpose. And based upon that, if you were found to be innocent, that it was just an accident, you would be able to remain the rest of your days in that hiding place, that refuge. Your soul would be safe there because you fled to the city of refuge. As long as you remain in that refuge... You're safe. My friend, we'll talk more about this toward the end of our time this morning. My friend, it is always, it is always safe to run toward God. It is always safe to run toward God. He is always a safe place when you're running to Him. That is not the same thing as when you're running from Him. Different altogether. Run to God. He is a place of safety. Secondly, we recognize in this psalm that God is a source of strength. God is a source of strength. Look again at verse 1. God is our refuge and strength. In Psalm 38, we see a little bit more about this. If you turn there with me, Psalm 38, verses 19 and following. Psalm 38, beginning in verse 19, God's Word says this, But my foes are vigorous, they are mighty, and many are those who hate me wrongfully. Those who render me evil for good accuse me, because I follow after good. Do not forsake me, O Lord, O my God. Be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. God is a source of help. He's a source of strength. He's a source of aid. Look at Psalm 40, just the next chapter over, the next uh, two Psalms over. Psalm 40 and verse 17. The psalmist David Cries out at the end of that psalm, As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O oh my God. So I guess this requires some thought, right? What, what does God help us with? What is God willing to help you and me with? You know, we have multiple adversaries, Now, when I use this term, in in some sense, some of these aren't necessarily decidedly and determinedly adversaries, but the world, in general, around us, views life through its own lens, and our world wants to gather a measure of conformity to itself. It's veiled in a garment of tolerance, of course. They tolerate everything unless you disagree with them, and then there's no tolerance any longer. And that's, a, that's an adverse relationship in some ways. But if you have a view different from the world, you're castigated as ignorant, dumb, or a freak. And so the world, in, in a sense, can, can be adverse toward us and our perspective, and God is a, a help to us. Additionally, another adversary is a demonic adversary. As you read through the Bible, you see demonic forces opposing the will and purposes of God. Take a look with me, please, at Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 12. God's Word says, "...for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, against this present darkness." Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Down in verse 16, he continues, In all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And so we see there's some some kind of a wrestling thing going on. There's some kind of a battle going on. It's not with flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers, etc. And then it talks about the fiery darts of the wicked one. Uh, he's What is he trying to do? What are some of those darts that are shot our way? I'd say that there's a, an innumerable list, but for starters, fear, anxiety, frustration, discouragement, discontentment, the list is long. What does God tell us to do against these attacks? What does He tell us to do with these attacks that come against us? Well, look back in the text in Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6 now in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Look down at verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Put on God's armor. Allow God's strength to be for you, used on your side. God will fight for you. This is the concept. God will. We'll fight for you. So the world might come against us. And uh, satanic forces or demonic forces might come against us. But God says, I will fight for you. Put on my armor. My armor. I will protect you with my armor. Of course, we know the different pieces of that armament. The Lord is our refuge and our strength. God has provided us with his strength to fight off the external attacks against our faith. There's another adversary, and it's far more difficult. Everyone wants to point to the world as their biggest problem, or Satan as their biggest problem. But there's another adversary, and it's the hardest of all. It's called you. It's ourselves. I am my own worst enemy. My biggest problems come from within me and I can't run from myself. Can you run from yourself? You've probably tried. Run to some substance. Run to some activity. Trying to forget who you are and what's creeping you out and what is haunting you. God is a refuge for you, even from you. And God is a strength for you. He will fight for you. Even against you. I have my own way of thinking through circumstances. Of course, the Bible in numerous places warns believers like you and me not to deceive ourselves. Not to deceive ourselves. We are good at masking our own intentions. In order to ward off my own destructive, deceitful tendencies, I need to learn how to surrender my will to God. Uh, This is why in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul tells the Ephesians to put off the old man. The way he records it in Colossians chapter 3 is to put to death the deeds of your body. In Galatians 2, Paul speaks about this spiritual reality of having been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In order to put off our own sinful resources... We need the power of the Holy Spirit to come to our aid. Listen to these words of Romans chapter 8 and verse 13, such important verses of Scripture. Romans 8, 13. For if you live according to the flesh, your own way, you will die. But if by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, your own natural inclinations, you will live. So the difference between fighting our own tendencies with our own power and fighting our own tendencies with the power of God, the the difference is night and day. The difference is natural over against supernatural. The difference is my frail weakness over against God's unlimited power. We're in desperate need of God's help. We cannot accept our own natural responses to life. But rather, we need to seek God's help for supernatural responses. Oh, and well, what will that look like? Another text of Scripture that you're so familiar with that we refer to regularly. In Galatians chapter 5, in verses 22 and 23, God's Word says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So God has told us that He is a place of safety. God has told us, secondly, that He is a place of strength. Head back to Psalm 46. We want to see this third one. God is a source of help and peace. God is a source of help and peace. Look at Psalm 46 again, beginning in verse 1. God is our refuge and strength. You have that memorized by now. A very present what? A very present what? Help. He's a very present help. When? In trouble. He's a very present help in trouble. And then he goes on and he gives an illustration of this. And it's cataclysmic in nature. Look at what it says in verses 2 and 3. Therefore... We will not fear, because God is a very present help in trouble, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waves roar in foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. You know, friends, it's all well and good. It's all fine and good to talk about having God's peace from the comfort of my office. It is comfortable in here. I love this place. I have my computer, I have my Bible, I have my books. I have a beautiful, wonderful desk provided to me from someone that loved me. I have a comfortable chair. I have, you know, every all of the creature comforts that I need in my office. Very very easy to be at peace here. To to be in our homes with with our uh, stocks filled with uh, goods, whether it be paper goods, food stuffs and people. It, it's all fine to talk about being good and safe and at peace i feel i feel at peace because i'm safe what about if you are walking down the street and the street starts to shake so much so that it starts to to ripple like the ocean waves what if uh like you're pierce brosnan and you're running from dante's peak and there's a, a volcanic ash cloud coming after you How peaceful would you be at that point? What about if you were one of those not too long ago? Can you imagine standing on the coast of Indonesia when a tsunami struck? How peaceful would your heart be in that moment? How peaceful at an eruption of a volcano or the shaking of the earth? See, we talk about these things in theory, and it's good to prepare ourselves for theory. But there's no way that we would not feel dread watching a wall of water coming toward us. However, for the one who knows God through the Lord Jesus Christ, understanding what God has done through the life of death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. For this one, while the fear would be there as a wall of water came our way, or as the street were rippling under our feet, or an eruption of a volcano were chasing us down, there'd be fear in our hearts regarding what this is going to feel like. The outcome of such an event, we know we understand what the results are, and that is to be with Christ is far better. If you've trusted Christ as your only means of your eternal salvation, you are at peace with God, and therefore you have peace concerning your destiny. Psalm 46 continues to teach us about who God is. He's, he is our refuge. He's our uh, safety. He's our strength. He's a place of help, and He's a place of of peace. Fourthly, God is a source of healing and restoration. God is a source of healing and restoration. Take a look with me at verse four. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the most high. Who is the source of this river mentioned in verse four? Well, there is a river. Well from where? This river's all over the place. What is this river? The source of this river is God himself. This is quite a thing. There's a lot about healing waters in the scriptures. And I want to just look at a few of them. I'll refer you to some others as well. But in Psalm 65, take a look there with me please. Psalm 65, we're talking about there's a river that comes from God. It it has restoration. It has healing. What is he talking about? In Psalm 65, take a look at verses 9 and 10. God's Word says, You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, setting its ridges, excuse me, settling its ridges, softening it with showers and blessing its growth. There's one reference to God's healing of land. Take a look at Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43. I'm going to look at verses 19 through 21. The prophet Isaiah, he is letting us know of God's healing hand in this. In verse 19, Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they may declare my praise. There's this healing that he's referring to. God is a help. God is a refuge. He's a help. He's a present Help in trouble. No matter what's going on, there's this help. There is a river that comes from God, and it comes to his nation. It comes to his people. Um, later on, you can take a look at these passages. They're on the uh, screen for you. Joel 3, 17 and 18, as well as Zechariah 14, 8. Write them down if you would and read them later. It Again, add some more depth of our understanding of this river. Now, listen to the, the, this last verse. Well, it's not the last verse, but one of the last verses in the Bible from Revelation 21, 22, excuse me, in verse 1. It says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, brightest crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. You see, God is at work, and He will bring about the restoration of all things. This is what God is about. You, we don't know when. We don't know how the process goes, other than what God has revealed. But we understand that God is a healer. He is a provider. He is a place to hide for refuge. He is a fortress for us. He is a source of strength for us. He is a source of presence for us. He is a source of peace for us and help for us, and he's a source of restoration. Back in Isaiah, excuse me, Psalm 46, Psalm 46, we want to look at verses 1 again and some other passages to understand that God is present. And this is really the emphasis, the great emphasis of Psalm 46, that God is present. And you can see its refrain throughout in verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble verse 5 God is in her in the midst of her verse 7 the lord of hosts is with us he uh the god of jacob is our fortress verse 11 the lord of hosts is with us the god of jacob is our fortress god is present this is a truth one of the promises that we hold dear is that god has promised for his people that he will Always be with them. Listen, this was quoted uh, was recorded for Joshua in Joshua chapter 1. And it's reiterated for us here in Hebrews chapter 13. Look what it says. It'll be on the screen for you. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's comparing what he has to offer in himself over against the temporary and transient nature of wealth. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. And what do we have? He himself has said, I will never leave you or, nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? My friend, whatever we face, We face with the Lord. We face with the Lord. And we know that He is the creator and sustainer of all things. Do you know that that God that created and sustains everything is with you right now? Now it is an absolute fact that He is present. It's an absolute fact. God is everywhere. The glory of the Lord fills the heavens and the earth. He's present everywhere. There's nowhere you can go where he isn't. That does not mean the same as God being in you. God dwelling in you. This is a unique privilege and blessing of those that know God through Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. To those whom who have trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior, the Spirit of God dwells within us no matter what we face. Not only is God with us, He is in us. Are you alone? Are you in the hospital without family? Are you on the mission field without your loved ones? These are difficult things. There's a reason why God over and over through the Scriptures, tells us not to fear, because He knows we will. There's no, there's no shame in fear unless we don't, in light of that fear, turn to the One who provides refuge and strength and help and healing. When we don't turn to the One who is present, that's when there's a problem. God knows and He is near. Listen to this passage of Scripture. And it's, it's such an encouragement. I hope you'll be encouraged by it. Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. I'm so thankful for that. Now, in addition to God being present, a source of healing and restoration, a source of help, And peace, a source of strength, and being a place of safety. In addition to these things, God is active. God is active. and This is a clear teaching from this psalm. Look at verse 4, please. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her. There's some activity of God. When morning dawns, the nations rage and the kingdoms totter, he utters. There's an activity of God. He utters his voice. What happens at that? The earth melts. Verse 8, Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and scatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. There's a lot that could be said here, but what I want us to notice is this. When you get to verse 8, you find the first command of this psalm. And what is it? Is it, be at peace? Is it, fear not? Is it, stand up and be strong? No. None of this. When you come to the first command of this psalm, God says, come, come. And it's paired up with this, behold. You come and you behold. Behold what? Yourself? No. The world around you? No. Come and behold the works of God. Come and behold the works of the Lord. It's a very interesting word that he uses here. This word works is only used three times, three times in the Hebrew Bible, which I was really surprised at. It's used here in Psalm 46. It's also used in Psalm 66 and verse 5. Look at this with me. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. And then it's recorded for us again in Proverbs 8. In verse 22, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of His work, the first of His acts of old. Come, come and behold, the Lord is at work. The Lord is doing things. The Lord, your God, He's capable. He's capable. My friend, I don't know. I don't know if you're fearful. I don't know if you're anxious. I don't know what is going on. You're on the other side of a lens. I don't know. But what I can tell you is, God beckons you to come. Come and look. Look and see who I am. Come and look. See who what I have done. See, God does mighty deeds. He also calls it in, at the end of verse 8, desolations. That's That's interesting. Verse 8, come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. Now, that's a unique word. It's used several times in the Old Testament, but it's a significant word in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, 24 times, uses this word desolations. He's talking about God bringing, bringing troubles upon the earth. God takes credit. For the difficulties that he brings. He's not shying away from it or hiding from difficulties. He, he owns it. Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 148 and verses 7 and 8. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures, and all depths fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind. What does it say? Say it with me, I know. Where you are, you can say it. Ready? Fulfilling His Word. God sends desolations. Tough to understand all the time. Tough to really grapple with, but it's just a fact. God is active. He does mighty deeds, and sometimes He sends desolation upon the earth. There's an intervention of the Lord that is spoken of here in verse 9. It's very interesting. He says this in verse 9. He makes wars... Cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and scatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. When you think about verse 9, I think you have to honestly assess, has this already happened? Has God already ceased war? Stopped all uh, opposition to one another? is, Is everything at peace all the time? And the answer to that is it's not yet. Not yet. There is a day when God will bring all war to a complete close. All conflict will be done. It will be a day when he rules visibly and thoroughly. That day is coming. This leads us to a second set of commands. So the first set of commands, Come, 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 behold. Behold the works of God. Behold the desolations of God. Behold the interventions of God. Come and behold. And there's a second set of commands. Of course, he's going to tell us to do something really hard now. Well, maybe it is a little hard, but not as hard, not hard the way that you might think. Verse 10 Be still. Be still. And know that I am God. I will be exalted. Among the nations, I will be exalted in the earth. He didn't say, be still and know and exalt. I think that's implied. He says, be still and know, and whether you do it or not, I will be exalted. God will make sure that his name and his person is glorified because the things he does are good and the things he does are right even when we don't understand them. Be still and know. God wants you to know Him. He wants me to know Him. Know that He is God. Now, I have a series of review points. Consider this with me, please. Since God is active, since God is active, we should rejoice in Him. Since God is present, we should rest in Him. Since God is healing and restoring, we should watch Him work. Since God is our source of help, we should ask Him. Since God is our strength, we should yield to Him. Since God is our source of refuge, we should run to him. This psalm makes this unmistakable. God is present. God is with us. God is for us. Let's look at it again. Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our. Fortress, verse 11, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. He wants us to know that He is present, that He is with us, and that He is for us. And my friend, the most glorious way that God has demonstrated that He is for us is through sending His Son, Jesus Christ. Take a look with me at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. This will be our last passage of Scripture for this morning. Romans chapter 8. Jesus lived for us. Jesus died for us as a once for all sin removing sacrifice for our sin. And Jesus was raised for us. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 and following. Look at this Romans 8, 31. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. There is no more glorious way for God to demonstrate that He is for us than sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to live for us, to die for us, and to be raised for us. Remember we talked about the cities of refuge? Remember there was an avenger of blood? You killed my son. I want justice. But you ran to the city of refuge. Your case was heard. It was clearly an accident. You are safe. You're safe. As long as you're in the refuge, you are safe. God calls us to Himself. He is our refuge. He is our strength. If you run from God, my friend, if you run from God, you are not safe. However, if you run to God, there is no safer place to be. Have you run? to God? Have you gone to Him as a refuge, a place where you can hide yourself, a place of safety, a fortress for yourself, a place of strength, a place of help, where God is present and healing and active? Have you gone, gone to Him? If you would like to talk more about what it means to run to God, send me an email. Send me an email to rcclark2 at me.com send me an email there I'd love to show you talk to you through email and even set up a, a phone conversation or a video call where I can explain to you from God's word as clearly as I can how God is a place of peace and safety when we go to him through his son Jesus Christ who laid down his life in my place as a once for all sacrifice for my sin that I might have forgiveness and I might have His righteousness granted to me and I might have eternal life with God. Send me an email if you would like to talk more about this. Let's pray together. Father, thank You. Thank You that we can study Your Word together. It feels so different being apart But you've given us this privilege and you've given us this time and it's not an accident. Help us to rest in you. Help us to trust you during this time. To to not pine for what we can't have but to glory in what you give us. Help us to be a source of encouragement and strength to one another. Help us to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Help us to run to you to recognize that you're present with us at every moment, that you're giving us what we need. Father, I pray for anyone listening, watching today that doesn't know the Lord Jesus, that has not run to you for safety through Jesus. I pray, Father, that even today you might open their eyes, give them a hunger and thirst to know the salvation that you provide And dear Father, help them to call upon the name of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, and save them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. My friends, my brothers and sisters, I want you to know uh, God loves you, uh, but more specifically, um, for those brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, particularly those that I know, I want you to know I love you, that I'm praying for you, I know you're praying for me and I know you're praying for one another. Be content by God's grace in the state in which he's placed you. I'm praying for you. God bless you.